here we go. A monumental day in Canucks history. It's finally done. Bo Horvat is no longer a Vancouver Canuck trader to the New York Islanders this evening. Uh, coming back the other way, Anthony Beauvillier, a former first-round draft pick, along with um, uh, Ratu as well, Atu Ratu, uh, who was a player that at one point was projected to be the number one overall pick in the draft in 2021, ultimately fell to the 52nd pick in the draft, and a, a protected first-round pick. So it's a first-round pick in the 2023 draft. If that pick happens to be in the top 12 of the draft, it's protected, so... The Islanders could have that pick in 2023 if it's that high. It would then be unprotected in 2024. So a blockbuster trade. Uh, so much reaction to this. Of course, there's reaction to any trade in Vancouver, but this pick is going to get dissected for years to come, or this trade, I should say, is going to get dissected for years to come because it's not just about the player that left, but about just what you make of the players that are coming back. No defenseman returns in this deal. There were... You know, when you listen to Jim Rutherford going into this in his last couple of, avail- of availabilities, we weren't really sure, Drancer, what he was going to prioritize because he talked so much about that middle age, that mid-20s player, which they got in Beauvillier, a player who didn't necessarily live up to his potential with his first team, and they believe with their development uh, solutions that they could get more out of that player. They could turn this into a faster retool than a rebuild. but they kind of got they got a young prospect that has certainly been trending upwards since his draft year, and they've got the much needed first round draft pick. And you know, you, you move off the potential money that you would have had to pay Bo Horvat in the way of a contract extension. So, a lot of ways to dissect this deal. Take us through, and, and Harm's going to join us as no, well. Harm's so not joining an us. emergency pod as everybody wanted. He's writing. Oh, Harm's writing. So it's you and I. So let's let's talk a little bit about just how you well, want to dissect this. From a business standpoint. Well, first of all, Ariel M points out that the Canucks got the exact piece Drance was hoping for. Drance, you happy? I'm very happy about that piece. <laughs> Which was the first round pick. The first round pick. Like, I thought that if you make a Horvat de- deal, the most important thing to get back was a first round pick. And ideally, a first round pick with such conditions on it that there was a chance that it rolled over and, and could become a premium asset. Now, Increasingly, you know, we're seeing that at least one surefire playoff team a year is just going to drop out for no reason. You know, like the Vegas Golden Knights last year, right? Like increasingly, we're seeing that year to year success is pretty hard in the NHL. And while the era of like intense parity is, is somewhat over, in my opinion, like there are real sharps at the table and they are accumulating the advantage of operating in an intelligent way over their opponents and in ways that are proving durable. We're seeing it with Julian Brisbois. We're seeing it in Carolina. We're seeing it uh, in, in a few other markets. You know, injuries, a confluence of injuries, extraordinary bad goaltending luck. Like there's random things that just can happen and sink a team in any given year. And if you were going to short one team, oh boy, I don't know that you can do much better, in my opinion, than the New York Islanders. Now the Islanders will have some cap space. They have Ilya Sorokin, who is Maybe one of the three goaltenders in hockey that really matter. And, you know, they, they have some talent. So, uh, it's not like it's a slam dunk or anything, but like over the last 130 games, the New York Islanders have barely outperformed the Vancouver Canucks. Like we're talking about a 519 point percentage, 19th in the NHL for the New York Islanders versus a 515 point percentage 
over the past two seasons for the Vancouver Canucks. If the Canucks were the Islanders in this deal, right, and imagine that they had 15 more points this season, so they were sitting at 56 and like in on the fringes of the mix in the Pacific, would we be celebrating this as a savvy bit of business or would we be shaking our heads, Farhan? Well, it's a great point. And when you look at where these two franchises are this year, right, uh, as opposed to the last 130 games, New York Islanders are two points out of a playoff spot, but they're giving up three games in hand to the team that currently occupies a spot. So, you know, they're, they're not as close as they necessarily well, look. Behind, now, this is a team. The Panthers, who are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're in 10th. They're not in ninth. Absolutely as good as them on true talent. So you're, you know, you're, I mean, they're, uh. Okay, but hang on a sec. So let's, let's like talk about three Bo, shot. Let's talk about Bull Horvat. Right. And re- really, they're, they're the same chance the Canucks, the Canucks were late in the season last year. We knew it was unlikely, but they had a puncher's chance. Now, this is a team that is struggling to score. They're a team that is struggling to score on the power play. They're a team that's struggling in the circle. Bam. Bo Horvat. Check, check, check. Sure. Doesn't have an extension yet. You have to believe Lou Lamorello knows what he's getting himself into. He's not naive. This isn't his first rodeo, but all of that aside, Bo Horvat could be that piece that pushes them over the top. Huh. So, well, Bo Horvat's a big winner over the top. I mean, into the playoffs, right? So, Bo Horvat's a big winner here, right? Because you know, pressure's on the Islanders to get him done now, right? I mean, oh, without question, balls in his court in a major way. I'm sure he's going to get paid, and you know, he does all the things that Lou Lamorello tends to to value. So, not a huge shock, but Bo Horvat's very much in the driver's seat in the wake of that this trade now. Interesting though, you know, before we completely get off the that part sure. of the business, there's still every possibility that Lou Lamorello, he's now got himself five weeks to figure this out. And if he doesn't, guess what? He can flip this. And it's a much more meaningful asset for him to flip because the Canucks are retaining 25%. And if he decides to retain 25% because Bo hasn't had the impact and they've fallen out of the playoff race, uh, all of a sudden that's a pretty good asset for him as well. For Lou. Well, if, yeah. I mean, I mean, it is, but also if the Islanders fall out of the playoff race, um, you know, even if Lou turns around and makes a trade of comparable value to what the Canucks just uh, acquired for Bo Horvat, the Canucks will be holding his first, which is now rolling over to 2024. So it's like the Canucks have hedged against that possibility, right? If this doesn't work out, they're sitting pretty with that unprotected 2024 first. All true. Right? So I'm not worried about that from a Canucks perspective. They literally built in protection to that with the protections on the pick. So look, let's, let's do the, let's do the 30,000 foot view. The Vancouver Canucks needed to make this trade, right? They, they backed themselves into severing the relationship with Bo Horvat as a result of decisions made elsewhere with JT Miller and Andre Kuzmenko. And the fact is, is that you know, in some ways, I sort of look at this trade and think it's a little bit like part of me thinks that the value is a little bit off and in the Islanders' favor. Because, like, you look at the history of centermen dealt over the past few years at the deadline. And, you know, I look at JP Pajot, who netted a first, a second, and a third. That's very comparable value, in my opinion. And in fact, I'd say it's better value because the Ottawa Senators didn't have to take back a salary. And they didn't retain, right? I'd look at Matt Deshane, who got a first, a conditional first, albeit under different rules. 
Vitaly Abramov in a third. And I'd say once again, that's probably better value because the Ottawa Senators didn't have to take money back and they didn't have to retain. I'd look at Giroux, who went to Florida and used his no-move protection to make the deal pretty complicated for the Philadelphia Flyers. And he netted a first, Owen Tippett, an additional draft pick. And yeah, the Flyers threw in some like whatever prospects too, but like that's a better return. And when you consider that among those guys, like Horvath's third in the NHL in goals scored, right? Like he's the best of those players, should have the most value. And only the Canucks had to take meaningful money back and retain. Like I sort of look at that and say, I'm not sure that the value is necessarily all the way there from a Canucks perspective. That's why I sort of called it underwhelming in my column, which you can read right now at The Athletic. All of that said, when you're doing these types of deals, right, when you're trading a 28-year-old pending unrestricted free agent, there's a couple things that are key to remember. One is, part of the return is that you're ducking making a $56 million plus commitment to a guy who is really good player, a really good person, means a lot in terms of the lore and history of this franchise, but also, but also, is likely to be inefficient the moment his contract is signed. Like you're ducking that commitment and instead you're getting meaningful futures back. So for me, the bar is always really low in analyzing like, did the Canucks win this deal or not? Like, of course they won this deal. In fact, they should be, they should have made three of them over the past 12 months. Like this is exactly the type of deal that this club needs. One thing I was really relieved about as, as I saw the, the news come across my desk, was that this is a really future forward move, right? It's not just the pick with the protection scheme where it could roll over. Like, that's the upside bet. That, that for me is when you're trading a player as good as Bo Horvat and who means as much to this fan base as Bo Horvat, the one thing I think you have to net in return is an asset with the upside to like fundamentally alter the trajectory of your franchise. And often that'll be in the form of a player. Like, Eric Brandstrom or Nick Suzuki or, or, you know, that sort of mold of return uh, based off of what we've seen over the past few years. The Canucks got that but piece. They sure- it's, it's just that piece is a draft pick this time, right? And and the draft pick's got uncertain upside. We don't know if it's going to be a top five pick, if it's going to be a pick in the teens, if it's going to be a pick in the late 20s. But it's got a chance to be super meaningful. And just handicapping that from today's vantage point, like they returned the one asset that really could matter, that that has the upside to alter this franchise's fortunes if it hits. And I like that because I think they needed to get a piece back like that. Beauvillier, Beauvillier for me, um, you know, like Beauvillier was quietly widely available on the trade market over the last eight, nine months and for like a cut rate price, right? Like there's there's actually a negative value aspect in the club taking back Beauvillier. And one thing I really don't love about this trade is that it pushes additional cap commitments into next season. This is a non-expiring cap commitment that the team has had to take back. And that's inconvenient, particularly because Beauvillier for me is like a third line winger, right? Like I think he can complement skilled guys in the top six, but he's not, he's not generating his own offense as like a top six winger. He's only got nine goals on the season. That tells you everything you need to know sort of a complimentary middle six piece. And when people call someone a complimentary middle six piece, they mean he's a third liner. That's sort of how I view Beauvillier. I like the speed. I like the transition IQ. 
Um, he can have a really high work rate. I'm not sure that he has it consistently enough. Uh, you know, Lou Lamorello doesn't trade players who, who have a consistently high work rate. So that sort of speaks volumes. To me, there's like a negative tinge in, in part of the, in that part of the deal anyway. Uh, that's sort of the one thing I really don't like about the deal from a Canucks perspective is that it adds an additional winger with money committed on the books. And then you get to Atu Ratu, whose name we all learned to pronounce today. And Ratu for me is interesting in part because a lot of concern when I talk to talent evaluators around the league about his foot speed in particular and about whether or not he'll stick at center. Now, clearly the Canucks were higher than market on this player. Clearly they view him as a crucial piece. Uh, what did you think? Can I ask you this, Farhan? What did you think about Patrick Alvin describing him as a player with first round pick value, considering the team passed on him to select Danila Klimovic <laughs> like two years ago? And it's the same staff. Like, isn't Alvin, isn't Alvin suggesting that his staff whiffed with that quote? I was kind of blown away. Well, well it was 2021, right? So you'd be looking at what his Pittsburgh staff did. No, it was 2020. Moment, right? 2020. You know, but Alvin wasn't in Vancouver. No, I know, but his staff, it's still the oh, same Vancouver staff. staff. You, said, you said you were, you said they took Klimovich, so I was, I wasn't sure if you were, yeah. which, no, was no, no, I'm pick. saying, I'm saying so, the Canucks, the Canucks staff passed on Ratu to pick Klimovich, yeah. who went, who went nine picks after Klimovich. Klimovich is nowhere near NHL ready. Obviously the Canucks view Ratu as a guy who's, you know, probably going to get NHL games this season, if not, um, if not next year for sure. And like, to, to say that he's got first round pick value is it, I don't know. I was a little surprised by that because it felt like kind of a. Well, you're, slam. All, look, you're always going to sell up, right? He always, he basically said, we got the equivalent of three first round picks here, right? That's a little bit much. That, but there are people who believe that his trajectory since being drafted has come back around, not to the point where he's a number one overall pick, but that, yeah, like, I don't think that's fantasy when you look at, you know, his points since he got drafted, right? So, you know, he was playing professionally that year. I uh, had a really, really disappointing season during his draft year. But since then, there's been a bit more there. And obviously, they're going to give this guy every opportunity because they need him to hit. They need him to be an NHL center. So he will get a run of games, maybe not this year, but certainly next year, uh, to, to fill that role, right? So I don't know that he's ready for it or anything like that. I've read that he's improved his foot speed uh, since his draft year. And that, you know, there, there might be some there there. And, uh, six foot two, he's a bigger body. They talk about his details, you know, uh, uh, and again, Alvin's going to obviously sell up to the market in terms of both players, right? Anthony yeah. Beauvillier is sure. a player that certainly is having a down year, but in, I, I like Beauvillier. I want to be very clear. I just don't think yeah, he and, had, I think he's like, uh, he's like, he's a make the cap math work piece in this. In yeah. This so trip. what do you do in a year? What do you do in another year? Right? Like what's she going to show you in the remaining uh, you know, 31 games to, or 33 games to make you decide, oh, we're going to try to extend him in the offseason before he goes into his final year. Do you wait and ride it out next year? Right. So obviously that piece needed to get added to make the cap work. We knew there was going to be a piece like that. It certainly isn't a salary dump. There is some value there. He could be a reasonable asset. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see where it goes. But Rachu seems to be the, the piece in all of this as far as players are concerned. You know, you and I are going to both value that first round draft pick more than anything else. But the organization, I think, is, is, you know, internally and externally is talking about Rotu as that one piece that could be the separator in this deal. Like, do you think that's got a chance? 
yeah, I think it's got a chance, but you know, like he's only 20, his AHL production at 20 hasn't jumped off the page. Um, you know, he, there's a lot of concern among scouts in the industry about his foot speed, right? About whether or not he sticks at center. And there's a lot of confidence because of his physical toolkit and overall hockey IQ that like, you know, he's going to play a lot of NHL games. That part people feel confident about. What people don't seem to feel confident about is whether or not he sticks at center or whether he has the upside to be a star player. Now it's, you know, it's easy to say that about a 20 year old. People said that about Bo Horvath. So is there a chance that he cashes out for sure? Especially because this isn't your classic second round pick. Like this was a guy who was seen as a potential generational prospect when he was a teenager, had a brutal season at the age of 17, fell to the second round and immediately rebuilt his value as like one of the best players in that draft class. So, you know, I think in saying that he's equivalent value to a like late first round pick, I think that's fair. Uh, Beauvillier, uh, not so much. And so, you know, Ratu's got a shot, but there's also a real chance. Uh, nothing is certain in hockey, even if it has a name and a face, as opposed to being a conditional draft pick. Uh, but there's a chance that Ratu tops out as like a bottom six winger. Right? And absolutely. <clears throat> you know, we'll see. I guarantee you, after I watch him play ten times, I'm gonna have a strong opinion on it. <laughs> uh no, I'm sure you will. And you know, for the Canucks, they they need uh their opinions to be right. That this guy's done everything right from maybe not when he was 17, but from 18 to 20, and is worthy of an opportunity. So he's played some games this year. Uh he's gonna start this season or start this part of his journey with the Canucks in Abbotsford which I think is a, a good decision, so they're not uh, going to fast-track him too quickly. But I think we're going to see him here in a hurry at some point in this season for some games just for talking to get a look. Uh, but then next season, absolutely, uh, I think he's going to get every opportunity to make this team on opening day. I mean, there's, there's going to be three players on that Abbotsford lineup that are going to have every opportunity in the in Podpols and Hoaglander and Ratu to make this team on opening night next season. Well, is I've, that good? I've is got that two bad? questions. Here they are. I've got two questions for you that are like mixed takes, and I want to hear the uh, reaction from our audience as well. So I encourage all of our listeners to chime in and tell me what they think as well. So take number one slash question for you. Right now, having dealt Horvat, extended Kuzmenko, and weathered the drama that came with the way they decided to change coaches, the club will have like this week off and then regroup in Manhattan away from Vancouver and have a chance to move forward where, like, the sexiest questions still lingering around the team are things like, will they trade Luke Shen? And um, do they extend Ethan Bear before he gets his qualifying offer? Like, really deeply normal things, as opposed to all the drama that's unfolded before. And that sort of makes me wonder, especially because they jumped the market by a month, like, do you think there's a chance the club prioritized returning to a sense of like back page stability and as such may have uh, may have made this move quickly rather than waiting for like the frenzy the frenzy to really get going even if perhaps that would have increased the price uh, of a potential final bohorvat trade by you know 10 to 15 20% Fair question. Um, and I don't know that they <clears throat> necessarily as an organization 
they certainly haven't shown to this point that they have gauged the temperature of the market and that they're interested in it and that influences them at all. Uh, like I'm, I'm just not convinced that that's necessarily part of their motivation. I think they felt this was a fair deal, right? I think they obviously value uh, the player in raw two and they were able to, to get it done. I mean, if, if anything, that might be 5% of the outcome. I don't think it's anything more than that. I, I don't know. Like I, I just don't think they're wired that way. I think they've misread this market so often that they're, they're not going to overreact to any perceived pressure in this marketplace. Yep. Okay. You, and you think uh, it had a lot to do with it? No, I just wonder about it. I wonder about it. It feels like that may have been a factor, but as Darren Jay in the comment section quite rightly points out, hasn't Rutherford historically started early with trades? Uh, yep. And yes, we've also has. talked about this being a good thing in that it can also bump this team a little bit lower in the standings. Yeah, although, although got, I'm, you know, I'm off that. Organizations get to make those decisions. I'm off that take because I don't think it matters. The The thing that's going to determine Vancouver's outcomes more than anything else is the soft schedule. Um, that's that's going to that's going to keep them north of 75 points for sure, in my opinion. So, I, you know, with or without Bo Horvat, I still think they're getting... You know, they're going to flirt with 80 and maybe maybe get into the mid-80s just because of how weak their competition is over the balance. All right, here's the, here's my other take slash question for you here. With, um, let me, uh, let me just remember what it was because I had it and it was a good one. With, um, okay, with the draft pick in particular, okay, does your view of the trade, if I to- tell you right now, this pick is 22 in the 2023 NHL entry draft versus this pick is 15 in the 2023 NHL entry draft versus this pick is eight in the 2024 NHL entry draft. Do those three possible scenarios in any way impact how you view this trade? What was the first scenario? The first option? 20, uh, 22. So they win around. The Islanders make the playoffs. They win around. They give up the 22nd pick. Does that change your view of this trade versus if it's 15 versus if it's eight next year? Yeah, I think it would. Uh, but ultimately it depends what you do with that pick, right? Like if they, if all of a sudden that pick is at 22 and now it gets viewed as a trade chip versus a pick that is at eight and it turns into a big time talented player. Right. That like that's that's absolutely going to change the view of this trade. I, I don't know how it can't. Right. I mean, certainly a, an eighth overall pick has a completely different uh, complexion on it versus uh, what what you're going to wind up getting at 22. An eighth overall pick could make your team year one. Twenty second overall pick is probably going to take some time. Yeah. And obviously, the best case scenario is you get a top five pick <laughs> out of it, which would be beautiful. Beautiful. I'm glad that the Canucks went out and got one of these rolling picks like to to the unfixed return is something i value highly just because i think teams undervalue the risk of taking a massive step back there's like a viewpoint that teams and executives have where they always want to bet on themselves and i think there's a way to take advantage of teams to take advantage of that for for general managers i like that the canucks were able to place one of those bets today um Overall. All right. Let's, uh, let's open up or sorry. Let's, we got to talk a little bit of Bo. Let's, let's talk about Bo's tenure as, you know, 
the most important Canucks player during one of the darkest decades in the history of the franchise, right? And and I'll always sort of remember that Bo Horvat was a guy who always raised his game when it mattered. And unfortunately, during his time with the Canucks, it rarely mattered enough. And so as the 10th leading scorer in the history of the franchise, and a captain who, who sort of just carried himself with an enormous amount of class and polish and professionalism during his entire tenure in Vancouver departs, um, you know, I figured we'd just give him a nod for doing all that he did for, for this franchise. I don't think there's anything more that could have reasonably been asked of him. Um, some parting thoughts on Bo Horvat, Farhan. Well, you know my feeling on it, right? I've always been that guy that cares more about the Vancouver part of the franchise than the Canucks part of the franchise, right? So the way he carried himself and all those things you outlined all, were incredible, right? From you know, the moment he took over the sea, which we knew he was destined to eventually wear, um, even though he had to wait a year to get it, uh, just the way he handled things in the bubble, right? From how the team was dealt with to, to when the whole race issue happened and, and the leadership role he took in that moment. Um, this has not been an easy room to cover. And yet he's been that guy that has been very much like the twins, right? And just always accountable, front and center. Uh, to the way he handled this season, right? Where the ultimate distraction in front of him and he played his best hockey, right? Because he was going to put, he was going to put all of that aside. He had the mental toughness to do that. Um, the way he's handled himself in the community, the charitable efforts, like just all of it, right? This guy exudes class. And I, for one, am completely disappointed that they put themselves in a position where they had to trade him, even though ultimately, they did the right thing by trading him, right? Like nobody disputes the fact that this had to happen. It's just, and you said this in one of your tweets earlier today, that the mistake that was made was the amount of contractual commitments that all these players before them, and not just this management team, right? The, the last management team with what they did on the back end with Ekman, Larson and Myers started all of this. Then this management team doubled down with uh, the initial signing of Brock Besser right? Rather than moving on from that situation early on to everything else that's, that's they've done since with Miller, uh, obviously McKayev in the summer and now Kuzmenko now, right? And all of that put them to this point. If they just didn't make the mistake on JT Miller, that we wouldn't have got to this point. However, you know, you can certainly make the case that all of them, all those mistakes, including Bo, all of them shouldn't have happened. And you're, you're never going to get that perfect scenario, but just, um, so yeah, it's, it's difficult to see when you are trying to change the character of an, or, or the, the culture of an organization and you want it to reflect the right values, Bo Horvath's the right values. So today on January the 30th, 2023, the Canucks on the ice, their roster, their makeup is lesser. They're a lesser organization for not having Bo Horvat in it. There's I, like, I'm not walking that back at all. Uh, they are, they've got less character today. Their culture is poorer today for not having Bo Horvat in it. However, they had to do it. Big picture, financially, all of it. There was just no way around it. So disappointing that we're here, but at the end of the day, I'm also dis- I'm also happy that it's done and they have some meaningful, tangible assets, right? Like you can make the case that they should have got a right shot defenseman out of this. You can make the case that yeah. they're one asset too short. Even though you had said that, look, all of these other players, they might have got a bit more. Maybe the return was a little bit underwhelming but they got off the contractual commitment. Well, so did all those other players or all those other teams. I think they were able to get off the same contractual equipment or uh, commitment, but 
to, to circle it back to Bo before we leave that topic, uh, could not have carried himself any better at all. I'm going to be sorry to see him go, even though they had to make the decision. Yeah. And, and I just want to reiterate, I'm not so much a, they should have gotten another asset guy, although maybe they should have so much as I don't like the, the taking money back thing. You know, like I like this trade an awful lot more if they're able to take a deal that expires back to facilitate it as opposed to one that lasts into next year for like another undersized sort of like, you know, middling two way winger like that to me. And I like Beauvillier a lot as a player, but that to me is where the sort of rubber meets the road here and makes me think that the trade's a little bit underwhelming and certainly lesser than than the likes of the Giroux, Pajot, Duchesne returns that we've seen in recent years, uh, since those teams didn't have to take non-expiring salary commitments back. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. Let's open uh, the stage. We've got Jakob W., a constant question asker when we do these live rooms. Always has good stuff to say. Jakob, how are you feeling today and where do you want to guide this conversation? Hey, I feel I feel fantastic. Thanks for having me on uh, the show again. And uh, man, what a day! I was uh, ordering pizza, and all of a sudden, the Horvat trade came down. So that was uh, pretty wild. Yeah. So my thoughts, um, Drads. I, I've I've agreed with like almost everything you've said for like the last year. Uh, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to slide a little bit on this one. I think it's honestly a fantastic trade for a multiple of reasons. Um, the, the biggest reason I'll start with the biggest one is this symbolizes that they are okay to do a futures type deal. Even if they went out and said they were going to retool, this is a futures type deal. A first round pick was involved and it wasn't a Boston Bruins first or a Carolina first. It wasn't a late first. No, this is either going to be a mid round first or most likely it's going to be next year's some sort of unprotected first. That is a huge, huge part of this trade that. I, obviously, people are talking about, but the fact that it's not a Boston Bruins basically second rounder in it is big. And the fact that, you know, like the other rumor was Brandon Carlo. Like, would you do it for Carlo in that late first? Like, this is <laughs> like, seriously, because there's no way it was going to be Carlo, Lysel and the first, right? There's no way that was going to be the package. It was going to be a later pick and all that. So that's my first thing. Second thing, uh, what they got for him. So after at it, so I've watched this kid a lot. I'm actually a huge fan of him. I, I think he does have top six potential. Uh, I, as a, as, as, I'm not a scout or anything, but as someone who's been watching this guy for quite a long time, I can tell you this: the guy has a great shot. He has decent hands. He has really good awareness with the puck, and this guy really, really solid. And he he's a two-way guy as well. He he plays really well in the defensive zone as well. He's a good hockey player. And this is someone that you could develop into that 
Maybe um, I'm thinking someone like a Philip Deneau type player, but you need to really develop him as a center. Keep him down there with Colson and Hoglander and make that line a thing for the, until the end of the season. I'm sorry. Just do it till the end of the year. Let's have him develop. And my final thing on this is uh, Bevilier. Uh, and I watched him in the playoffs and he was really good. I don't know what the hell happened this year with the Islanders, but in the playoffs, he was spectacular. And uh, I, I know there's another team out there. 4.1 million is not that much for next season. And then, you know, we could trade him for a second or third rounder. And guess what? We didn't sign Bo Horvat to an 8x8. We saved the cap space. This is a win all around. It's a futures deal. I love it. Sorry, Drance. You guys are still <laughs> the best. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jacob. I mean... Look, we got a scout. We got on the show. We got a scout on the show with Yak. There we go. I, well, and I'm big on the first round pick part of it too. But let me tell you this: like, gut check, making my calls in the wake of the trade, and soliciting opinion from a variety of you know smart people around the league, experienced talent evaluators, and on and on. Like, I was way higher than market, right? When I sat down to write, I wasn't exactly following Twitter. Like, I'm, I'm just writing based on what I'm hearing, the conversations I'm having with people around the league. And like, for most of the people I was talking to, the deal was pan. So I sort of write this article that's like, yeah, the trade returns are underwhelming, but, and, you know, I then post it and everyone's like, it's great. Everyone says it's great. <laughs> it's like, okay. Hockey Twitter and the industry itself are having very different conversations today. <laughs> um, you know, I, look, I like the first round pick aspect of it. Ratu, we'll see. There's there's some upside there for sure. Uh, I'm a big Beauvillier guy. I have been since his draft year. Like, I liked him a lot in his draft year. But, you know, he doesn't have big value. And even if the club, like, plays him with Pedersen and rebuilds his value pretty consciously, like... You know, the second, third rounder, if you, at the deadline, if you retain his, if you retain half his, um, cap hit, like, I think that's sort of what you're looking at in terms of a return. I, I don't think that's like a big plus value asset. That's a make the money work part of this trade. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't, I don't agree. I agree. I, sorry. I do agree with you there. I, I do think that's a, that's a money piece, but I mean, you know, and it's funny because I, I saw the information about his playoffs and I remember him in those playoffs, but. It's crazy to think that uh, they're just so far away from being able to take advantage of that. You know what I mean? Like, if he happens to be a playoff performer, you know, what are they, two, three years away from that? So, it's... uh, Let Let me add in. Let me add in. The logic of this now, right, where you're so overweight on the wings, like, you're so poorly constructed, like, I hope the logic of this deal in part is that the club accepts that they're going to have to take a multi-season step back. Right. Like one of the issues with the Horvat trade is that it's just the Horvat trade. It's not the Horvat return plus the Miller return plus the Kuzmenko return. Right. Like this team's still locked into just way too much money on the wings, way too little on the defensive end. Um, you know, shallow as anything at center. Um, you know, I, I still don't think they're a credible contender to be a playoff team next year without massive amount of, of good fortune. So, you know, I, I hope that this is like the start of a more future oriented direction for this franchise, right? Like major surgery should be invasive, right? Um, if this is a one-off, you know, I, I hope it's not like a future forward band aid, And then it's like, Oh, we're done. 
We made one future-focused move back to digging the way this franchise has so consistently over the course of the past decade. If that's if this is the start of a new, coherent, future-forward strategy to restock, I'm all for it. But in isolation, you know, to me, it's just like, oh, it's okay. It's fine. It's fine. And they did what they had to do with it. And that's kind of my take. All right. I Rob do back. believe, though, that on the Luke Shen trade, when that comes, that's only, that's only going to be a future, right? Like, I, I don't know that that becomes a player in, player out deal as much no. as they, as much as the organization professes that. So I do think you'll see a second phase of that. The interesting part will be what happens uh, if and when they're hopefully able to move on from Brock Besser. That will be interesting. Hey, we've, we've got Rob S up on the stage. Rob, do you have us? Oh, yes. Thank you. Um, I'm calling from New York thank actually. You. Or, so, nice. um, love, love your guys take and, um, uh, not to take all the, um, Vancouver time, but just really quick. Um, so as Islander fans, I'm, I'm thrilled with the trade. And I guess a question for you is I'm just like, I guess confused or just befuddled one, just by the, just by what Vancouver got. <laughs> And just the timing of it. Like, why so early before mm. the trade deadline? So if you can answer those two, but thank you. Our pleasure, Rob. Thanks for crossing enemy lines and joining this podcast. Of course, you are very welcome um, in the company of all the VIPs on the line. Um, you know, look, Jim Rutherford likes to beat the market, right? He's tended to be a guy that's made deals early. Um, you know, dating back to the Doug Wade acquisition, what, in January ahead of the trade deadline in uh, 2005. So this is a guy who likes to be proactive in terms of how he approaches the deadline, typically speaking. Uh, so I think that's part of it. I, I do believe, I do believe just that the way that they're sort of tying a bow on what came before the All-Star break and, and the idea of getting back to work, I, I do suspect there's something to that, some thought being put into that. And I think it sort of runs back to Patrick Alvin's commentary in that Sunday presser about making the locker room a safe space for the players, right? Like making, trying to be really mindful of what the experience of the rest of the season looks like for a team that's likely to be uh, pretty bad and lose a fair bit over the balance of this regular season. So I, I suspect that's part of it too. And, and we discussed it a little bit earlier in the podcast, but we think they just, viewed or Farhan was suggesting that they just viewed this as a fair package and saw Atu Ratu in particular as like, you know, a fair centerpiece of this trade. And, and once they got what they wanted, once they got the centerman, the young centerman in the age range that they wanted, a, a guy that they'll probably see as uh, able to give them minutes next season and beyond, they were willing, willing to pull the trigger. Anything to add, Farhan? Yeah, you know, I think on top of that, there's more interest there's more intense interest around the deadline, but there's more teams today who haven't played their way out of it yet. Right? Like imagine mm. the Islanders at the deadline without Bo Horvat. Right? Like you, you, you might get a couple more serious suitors, but you're not going to get as many suitors. So there has been a lot of interest in this player in the last couple of weeks, right? Like there have been tons of reports from different teams where he might fit, where the interest level lies. And on top of that, how many trade deadlines of late, especially in the last five years, have been completely underwhelming. You know, both in terms of volume and return. So I, sure. I, I think if you're Jim Rutherford, you also look at that and think that, you know, how much better is it going to get five weeks from now? 
Yeah, but the big piece always goes, and the big piece always goes for value. And would this have been the biggest piece at this year's deadline? Yes. Guy wins 59% of his draws and is third in the NHL yeah. in scoring, Farhan. Come on. No, fair enough. Uh, let me ask you this now. Uh, and I know we've got some other calls to take, but I want to check in on this We have one lots topic. of calls to take. We're going to be here all night. In all fact, right, in fact I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a moratorium on it. You have until 7.20 to raise your hand because otherwise it's going to be a three-hour podcast and yeah, I'm no on kidding. vacation. Okay, let's, so. talk, let's talk about <laughs> Captain. Who replaces, and, and Alvin today talked about Pedersen and Hughes are players he named and he didn't name JT Miller. What's your take on who the next Canuck captain is going to be? It doesn't sound like they're in a hurry to name one this year. They want Rick Tockett to get comfortable with the roster and get a sense of who he views as the biggest leaders here, but where do you think it goes? It's Pedersen. It's Pedersen once the deal is done. And you hedge before that in case it can't get done. You're talking about an extension for Pedersen. Yeah, like it's part of yeah. your off-season chatter, right? Like it's a process. You engage his camp. You're the vision for you. You're the face of the franchise. You're going to wear the C. This is all what it is. And, you know, but 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 you got to be in before we name you the captain. And so yeah, completely. Yeah. So you hedge and present another option, um, you know, and, and then and then if the if the Pedersen thing doesn't work, then you've got your ready-made alternate. So that that would be my read on that. I don't know if that's too much, but that's how I'd read it. That's how I do read it, based off of Alvin's commentary today. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I I think that becomes a big piece. I don't want to say a big piece of his negotiations, but they've made it clear, and we've questioned. Myself especially, but we have questioned both Alvine and Rutherford repeatedly on their concern level for Pedersen long term here. And there are many who believe he wants out or, you know, he may not want out yet, but he's not buying what he's seeing. And that there may come a point where he may not want to extend. I've certainly speculated that, not in terms of insider knowledge, but that if I was Pedersen looking at the situation, why would I want to be a part of it? But they've said we have been in contact with his camp. And they have a sense of what the player wants. And I think he wants this. I think he wants to wear a seat. And whether or not he's equipped to, we can debate that. But I certainly think that that is part of how he views himself. And I do believe the organization will put that out there as a carrot. We are going to build this all around you. You've just got to give us a little bit of time. And with that's going to come, you know, the, the ultimate honor in the NHL. Well, if he's going to wear the C, he's going to have to actually comment on the hard questions sometimes. Can't, can't always be like, <laughs> I don't want to make a headline, no comment. Like, you know, that works when you don't have a letter on your sweater. Right? Yeah, you're right. But as you, as you know, as you go on, like, how many times have you heard the words no comment from Bo Horvat? Yeah. Well, when I last asked him about uh, how he felt the Boudreaux situation played out, he said, next question. Hmm. Did he really? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I was I was in the scrum that day, and and I, you know, he answered everything else. Some, you know, more eloquently than others. But when that particular question was asked, he said, "Next question." Okay, I recant my criticism. My bad. Sorry, sorry, Petey. All right, Terrence V is next no, but that, up to the I podium. That, doesn't that line up with what you were saying? Because you said he can't he can't say no comment. And, and no she comment, did, right? And she did, right? Yeah, I was a little bit thrown off by the trade. I mean, I knew it was coming, but. You know, it just uh, still kind of hits you. You know, I've been following the team for a few years, and uh, ever since he was drafted, funny thing, it's uh, 
It's uh, interesting how the uh, Corey Schneider trade has kind of gone full circle with Lula Morello, eh? Um, for Schneider to, for the ninth, coming Horvat, and then Horvat ends up going back to Lou's team. I uh, thought that was kind of interesting. Um, I just wanted to uh, quickly ask if uh, Beauvillier, um, about Beauvillier, because I, I don't really know too, too much about him, um, if you guys have any sort of preliminary insights on him as a player. Um, and in addition, um, you know, Rutherford was talking about major surgery and buyouts and stuff like that. Uh, do you guys think that if Beauvillier kind of has an underwhelming rest of the season that he could be a less painful buyout option than say a Garland or an OEL or anything else? Anyway, love your show guys. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for that, Terrence. Um, yeah, I mean, Look, you'd rather buy out the guy with only one year left on his deal than the guy with three years left on his deal, a la Connor Garland, or even two, a la Brock Besser. But, man, if you've acquired Anthony Beauvillier as part of this, like, signature trade and then have to buy him out, for me, that's a no bueno, right? Like, you're better off just holding him on your team and doing what you there's can no to chance. recoup there's, value there's, at the deadline. There's no chance he's a buyout option. That would be an admission yeah. of failure. They can't do that. And they won't have seen enough of him to write him off that quickly, right? Like we've seen, we've had a big sample size of Brock Besser. We've had a meaningful sample size of, of Connor Garland. Uh, and, and certainly the defensemen that are up in this discussion as well, but they're going to see him for whatever 33 games here. Like there's just no way they're going to admit failure after that period of time. No, I agree. I don't think he, but I don't think he's a meaningful bio candidate. I think he's a good player. And I think at the end of the day, at the end of the day, his like work rate and two way intelligence and speed is going to stand out once he plays for this roster. Like I suspect fans are going to be relatively fond of what Beauvillier brings here. Um, you know, once he, uh, once he gets a Canucks jersey on and gets into the games hey we've got brian g up on the stage now brian where do you want to take this conversation hey guys um i love the trade for the islanders perspective what were what were the the numbers that Bo horvat reportedly turned down from vancouver what is he like looking for in a deal thanks brian pat morris and newport sports are very careful about disseminating intel on their clients, particularly when their clients want the negotiation to be exceptionally private, right? Like the Jacob Markstrom negotiations, that was always very nebulous in terms of how it was reported out. Same thing goes with Brock Besser. Frank Saravalli has reported earlier that, you know, the Canucks were sort of in the Ryan Nugent Hopkins comparable range when the two sides first talked over the course of the summer. Uh, club came up significantly from there, but I don't think they ever got to like, you know, certainly I don't think they ever exceeded the total value of, of JT Miller's deal is at least as my, um, understanding of the second round of negotiations. Don't know that there was ever a third offer. I suspect there was not based off of what I'm hearing about, uh, Pat Morris's recent visit to Vancouver. Um, so. You know, I, I think I think probably where Horvat's going to end up coming in at is, you know, eight plus million on a long term deal here. And I don't think the Canucks ever got close to that level. Farhan, you got any uh, shading in the lines that you can do? 
Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, I, as, from a Canuck perspective, JT Miller became the comparable, right? Uh, like they set their own internal comparable and the Canucks simply couldn't reach it. Uh, I also am of the same uh, opinion and understanding that uh, even though Pat Morris was here in Vancouver and may or may not have sat in, in Patrick Alvin's office, Alvin said he did, so we'll take his word for it. I don't know that there was any significant dialogue in that around an additional offer to Bo Horvat. So they didn't get close to the JT Miller comp, uh, comparable uh, in terms of overall comp, uh, compensation. So, uh, you know, I, I think they were closer in July with what the numbers were then than what they ever got to this time around. I think, you know, hearing about it from people close to the other side, I, I don't think it ever was serious. Yeah, I think that's about right. All right, let's go with uh, longtime VIP and frequent VanCast Live Room question asker, Sean W. Uh, hopefully, Sean W., hopefully this doesn't glitch out and we get Sean W. on the stage. I'm a little nervous that it's taking so long. Going to rag the puck for a few more minutes and hope Sean W. appears. Dude. Who's your Super Bowl pick, Farhan? Oh boy, that's a tough one. I'm not there yet. I, I need a, I need a week to see what Kansas City's receiving core looks like. I do think you know, I, as good as Philadelphia's defensive line is, I think Kansas City's rebuilt that offensive line pretty pretty well. Uh, so I, I don't think they're going to fold like they did a couple of years ago against the Buccaneers and their vaunted pass rush. But he needs some weapons. He needs some weapons to get healthy. All right, Sean, raise your hand again since this uh, clearly. Hasn't worked out for us, and uh, and I'll call on you first thing. Um, I'm going to quickly leave and come back, hoping that that fixes things. So, Farhan, unmute your mic and just drag the puck for me for a minute. Well, I could drag the puck and, and talk football all the way through here, but I'm not going to because, uh, you know, for, for me, um, I wonder how they're going to fill Bo Horvat's shoes down the middle and at what point they give up on the JT Miller experiment down the middle. You know, if this is this is going to basically confirm the fact that for the rest of this season, JT Miller is going to stay at center. I think they're going to give him every opportunity to get his game right. I don't know that he's going to. Uh, as far as Ratu is concerned, you know, next year I fully expect him to be a center with this team, at least to start the season. So to me, I want to know how they're going to fill the center spot. We've spent so much time talking about the right D and potentially bringing in additional depth at center if Miller's going to be a winger. But what's it going to cost them to replace Bo Horvat down the middle? And how short-term are they going to go with that decision, right? Because what the last thing this organization should be doing is spending five and a half to $6 million on a center. And that's my concern, that this summer, whatever cost savings, whatever cap savings they come up with, I think they're just, I think they're just going to go out and spend it on a center unless JT Miller over the next 33 games shows us that he actually can play down the middle. And I don't know that he can because he's going to be put in less favorable matchups without Bo Horvat in the lineup. So that, to me, in terms of a short-term question around this trade, that's a big concern that I have because there's a lot of right with this deal, right? They're saving the money that they could have been paying Bo Horvat. They've got a young prospect that can eventually come in and play center, and they don't they don't need to rush him into a top-six role. And they've still got needs on the back end. So are you going to wind up doubling down on mistakes that have been made previously because this isn't a rebuild drancer, it's a retool 
and overspend on a mid-level center this offseason? Oh, boy. I mean, <laughs> there are no good mid-level centers. Like, are, like, truly, truly, the free agent class for centermen is grim, my friend. Like, you do not get very many names down before you get to, like, Oscar Sunkvist. You know, like, sure. that that name comes quick. Like, are they are, are they going to take that first round draft pick and turn it into a a second line center? Do you, do you know what I mean? Like in their effort to accelerate and rush this process, are they going to? You know what? Right now, we are not passing judgment on this deal. Neither of us are panning it. Both of us are willing to give it the benefit of the doubt, right? That it it could it could give them a lot of their objectives, right? They didn't go all in on reclamation project prospects, right? They they got one. And they've got a young prospect that could potentially be someone they hit on. And they've got a first-round draft pick. So are you going to make a mistake on a deal that we, we've yet to grade? Are they going to make a mistake by moving an asset to go get a second-line center? Uh, you, you, you absolutely hope not. But the market is very thin down the middle in free agency. All right. Let's call Doug F. up to the stage. Hey, Doug, you got us? Yes, I'm here. Hey, How's what's going, going on? Guys? What do you want to talk about, my friend? Okay, um, I'm from the New York area. I've been an Islander fan since 1973. I had season tickets for them when they won the Stanley Cups in the 80s. So Let's I'm kind go. of an old timer. Yeah. And I was reading the paper. Welcome. And then I saw this trade. Islanders made a trade. And they, you know, they, I thought they were going to be sellers, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be honest with you, you know, they had. But um, Lamarillo, the fan, we've been on Twitter, and I'm sure you've seen it. Um, you know, what, what is he doing? He's doing nothing. Then all of a sudden, Bo Horvath is an Islander. What? You know, he's a star, you know? So um, I, I think for the Islanders, they have a new building. I don't know if you guys have been there yet. Um, it's a great place. You know, they need a star to fill it with Barzal, you know? And it's, he's a perfect fit for them. Perfect. And they still have Lee and uh, Nelson and Palmaria, their secondary scoring. They might be able to make a playoff spot. They're only two back. You know, they have 30 games to go. Here's the time to do it. You know, and they'll shake them up a little bit. So um, I think it's a good deal on the Islander side. But, you know, like, well, Villiers, I'm, I'm not want to hurt you guys' feelings because, you know, I have nothing, you know, that with, you know, I, with the Canucks and he's, he's been terrible the last two years. He's been awful. Um, Ratu is a, a really good prospect. I think you guys hit that on the head. I think he, you will. He, I think he got sick and he got hurt. And I think the Islanders did well getting him in that second round because he's, he might be a first pick, a first round pick, you know, down the line. And then the draft choice is a draft choice. You don't know what you're going to get. So, um, I think it's, it might help both teams down the line. So I read something about a loser, loser. I disagree with that a hundred percent. So that's perfect. What I said. Thanks, that's Doug. What I said. Okay. I, lo I love all the Islanders fans joining our podcast. I tonight. love it. I know, it's fantastic. And, and you know what's hey, cool about Islanders fans? Right behind Matt Barzell down the middle, right? Like he is going to oh, be a yeah. great piece for them. It's a nice stylistic, um, it's a nice stylistic mesh. Like, I always think it's good to have two centermen that are as different as possible. 
in your top six. Like when you're, when, if you can get a finesse guy and get a guy who's a, a little bit more direct the way Bo Horvat is, I always think that's a nice fit. And boy, oh boy, do I think Bo Horvat's going to help them on the power play. I know that, you know, Miller's quarterbacking things from the uh, left side half wall is, has received most of the publicity, but like Horvat is a true genius finding soft spots in coverage. I think he's up there with Braden Point and Joe Pavelski is, uh, and, and Patrice Bergeron is one of the best bumper guys in the sport. I think he's going to absolutely kill it, uh, for the Islanders there. Um, hey, by the way, you know what I love about Islanders fans? I love how they call all their fir- fourth liners by their first names. <laughs> I just love, you know, the, like, I just love the Long Island accent. Oh, it's so good. But like also Canucks fans would never be like Niels and, or like, or like Jack or like, like there's no world in which anyone's ever going to like be at the game being like, Come on, yeah, Dakota. We, we take, skate harder. Yeah, we take it a step further and we go, we go nicknames, right? Petey and Huggy and Millsy. Like, Canucks fans are going to be saying that all the time. And hockey yeah, nicknames okay. are the lamest nicknames no, in but, sports, right? Cause but, but, uh, but like, there's or, something or, about, or. there's, there's something about Islanders fans yelling like, hit him, Cal. <laughs> it's just like the funniest thing I've ever seen in a hockey race. <laughs> all right. We, we've got a, we've got a gentleman. Sir, will you uh, will you say your first name for me so I don't butcher it? I'd be very embarrassed, but welcome to the stage. Uh, thank you for this. Um, you can either say Prague or Prague like the city, whichever one Prague, you prefer. Prague. I yeah. love well, Prague. Prague. Welcome love Prague. to the show. Thank you. Yes, thank you. Um, I'm from Toronto, but, uh, you know, I, I follow uh, your podcasts and, you know, huge hockey fan just generally. But uh, I just wanted – I had a couple of comments and then a question about the trade. Uh uh, I thought, like, in terms of the whole brood, Boudreau and whatever is happening with the fire, uh, tire fire that is the Canucks, um, I don't know how a team can do well, like, um, when you're trashing the coach, especially a coach who is basically loved by everybody, especially their play, his players and is a winning, one of the winningest coaches in NHL history. So this whole year was like almost like a soft tank without the purpose of tanking. It was kind of weird. So, like, I, I think people uh, sleep on the fact that uh, I think the Canucks could have done better, even with their holes in defense, which is basically just one big hole. Um, if it wasn't, <laughs> for, uh, <laughs> if it wasn't for the the fact that uh, you know, like, it was, I, I I I was confused when they didn't even like think about extending Boudreau after. Like, I know it was a like a a boom season, but like just even extending him because of the love and like you know it kind of everything had settled down in the market last year so that was just yeah this whole year has been kind of crazy and then the rachel dory thing so anyways and i think that that makes the market for future signings that much worse for and uh even trades worse for uh, canucks because if uh, they want to get a player who has a modified no trade it's going to be hard um my second thing is i I'm sort of disappointed by the, the Horvat trade in terms of what the value is because, you know, centers of all positions, especially let's say he's a good two center or even a, a strong three C on a, like on a very deep team. That's, and you know, his face off percentage, his shooting, like he's gotten better. He's still done a lot of changes recently to improve his tipping in front of the net and all that stuff. That's, uh, uh, 
I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how you get that. That's that's hard to get even uh, on a UFA year. Um, but uh, I think people are sleeping on Beauvillier. I think he's going to do well because there's no pressure for him to score compared to where he was on the Islanders. He's fast. He's still like a little bit bigger than Garland or Garland, whatever. He's uh, always bent over. He's But like he's fast and I think he's going to be a replacement for Garland. But I, I think um, I was just wondering, like I see Beauvillier having like a 40 for 50 point upside just because the Canucks are so deep on on in terms of their forward group maybe not in center anymore but like just generally so i'm wondering um what do you i i don't see what the i don't i don't see a, a consistent plan in terms of the vancouver canucks what they're doing because you know the jt miller signing before signing their captain was weird and all like everything's been kind of like a crazy weird thing and i just wonder uh what you think they're going to do. Cause I, I don't really understand it. I, I have a feeling that they're going to try and sell low on Garland or like if it's at 50% retention, just, and then resign somebody like, like uh, Beauvillier in, instead of, cause I, I just don't understand anything, any of the moves. So if, and if you have any, <laughs> ideas, and Thanks, I Brock, yeah, sorry. And I also don't understand Lou Lamorello. He was, uh, he was my team GM and I still don't understand him. But he, he's fair, a good guy. Fair. <laughs> fair. Thanks so much for your contribution, Prague. Hey, look, um, you know, I think selling low or buying out Connor Garland would be a grievous error, given that, you know, he's had two seasons in Vancouver. In one of them, he led the team in terms of five on five points, right? This season has been something of a cataclysm. I don't know that his usage uh, has helped him at all. Um, you know, he, he's like so fated to be like bought out and or traded for cents on the dollar with like retention, go to a good team and just be back to being good again. And I hate when a team makes those types of moves. Uh, that feels like his fate. I think if the Beauvillier acquisition sort of points to uh, a Garland exit that is in any way painful for this team. Whether it's retained salary, whether it's taking back an inefficient deal, whether it's um, a buyout, you know, I, I think that would be a mistake. One thing I, I am beginning to wonder, though, is at what point do the Canucks consider using one of their, like, sub-NHL-level wing prospects to maybe chase, like, a comparable fringe NHL defender, you know, on an ELC or whose ELC has just expired... Uh, but who's a defenseman? Like, at what point do you consider in a world where you have Beauvillier, Mikhaev, Garland, etc. on the roster, considering seeing if there's a team willing to part with a similar, similar age, similar pedigree defenseman, like let's say like a Caden Korshak in exchange for Niels Hoaglander, right? Like at some point, surely that becomes something the club has to look for, given all that they've accumulated on the wings. Wow, you mean like a hockey trade? Something like it, yeah. Wow, okay. I uh, hadn't, hadn't thought of that possibility. Uh, but uh, you're right. I mean, look, they've got a glut of wingers, but you get that information back from so many other teams around the league, right? Like, we know what the difficult assets are to acquire. Uh, right shot defensemen, uh, centermen, especially on the right side, you know, elite goaltending. Wingers are a dime a dozen. I just don't know that they're going to 
be able to extract any level of value in terms of a one-for-one that you get a guy that's, like you said, a mid-level winger for a mid-level defenseman. I think that might be a little tougher to execute, but they, they certainly have them in spades. You're right, and there's guys waiting. And look, it, it's it's a good problem to have. I talked to Harmon the, on the podcast earlier today, which had about a four-hour shelf life before the trade book, and that was that, you know, what's the best path right now for Pod Polson and Hoaglander? Right, like the club has said, they want to keep him in Abbotsford for a little while. Alvin has said that look, we are going to get him up here at some point, even though we're with Abbotsford down the road. He does want to see them back here in this environment. What's the best development plan for them? You know, and if you're talking about trying to create value, what becomes the best plan? Right, like if you brought one or two of those guys up here and said, look, there's no pressure now. We're not making the playoffs. If you struggle, we're going to keep riding you. Because the coach is not under crazy pressure to win games to keep his job, right? And is there a path to development for them here that allows you to create greater value in your overall winger pool, even if it's not one of those guys? I'd hate to see them part front with uh, with Pod Posen at this stage, but you could certainly make the case for Hoagland or virtually every other winger that um, you know that that uh, there might be a better option there. So I'm curious, right? Like, what's your take on what the Canucks should be doing? with those players right now because of the glut they've got on the wings. I mean, not, not extending more of them. <laughs> Ideally well, not taking more of them back in the Bo Horvat trade, right? Like, yeah, well, um, they just got one back. I know. So, you know, uh, look, you gotta, you gotta find some way to offset them. Obviously, the organization believes that JT Miller is a center. That's the only possible explanation here. And good luck to them. Like, he better be, yeah. given all that they've accumulated here on the wings. Uh, but, you know, so many variables in terms of what this thing's going to look like. Because as we talk about, the, you know, the glut of wings. I, I, we got Sefer. We got, can... we got Sefer. Oh, we do. Okay. Uh, Sefer, are you here? Do you hear me? He doesn't hear me, but he's on the stage. Going once, going twice. Unmute yourself. All right, he's gone. All Carlos, right. let's try Carlos M. Wow, we're really clearing up. Hey, guys. Yes, Carlos. Carlos, how are you? Hey, guys, can you hear me? We can. Hey, you guys. Yeah, my question for you would be, uh, this is the pessimist inside me as a Knuck fan. Uh, what's the chances that the Islanders sign Horvat, and then would they wait till after the trade line to trade deadline to sign him, and then possibly trade him for more than the Canucks got? Thanks, guys. Thanks, Carlos. So, I think if the Islanders have invested this much capital into making the trade, that they have a pretty good idea of what it's going to take. Uh, I would expect that he will get extended, and I also think that whether or not they trade him at the deadline for a better return or not. Um, you know, the fact is, is that the Canucks have already built insurance into the nature of this trade with the conditional pick. Like if the team sinks like a stone over the course of the next month to the point where they consider selling, having already bought, well, that's good news for the Canucks because now they have their, uh, their unprotected pick in 2024. So they're covered, right? Like in some ways, the structure of the conditional pick protects the Canucks from that possible eventuality anyway. So uh, not something I'd be worried about particularly. David T., I see you're on the stage. I don't know if this has worked or not. 
Can you hear me? And if so, what do you want to ask? Yes. Uh, so my question is related to the news about uh, Demco possibly getting moved. Do you think this signifies more of a willingness to move on from him? Or do you see that as a, a separate issue? Thanks, David. I'm going to defer to our Demco whisperer, Farhan Lalji. <laughs> uh, well, look, I, I think there, I think there's both, right? I mean, I think the organization, when they talk about their core players, they haven't always referred to Demco as necessarily being in that group. I think there was a time a year ago where there was kind of the six man core of, uh, you know, uh, Bo Horvat, JT Miller, Elias Patterson, Quinn Hughes, Thatcher Demko, and maybe Brock Besser, right? A year ago when this management team took over. And certainly that has been whittled away. And I think you've got a core of one in Elias Pedersen or two if you add uh, Quinn Hughes to that, right? And contractually, you may be stuck with JT Miller being a part of that core because of what you've done. But really, I think it's a two-man core now. And some of that is, as it relates to Demko, you know, this is a guy that contractually, this guy is perfect, right? Demko, the way he played at the start of last season was incredible. After the trade deadline, he was merely good, right? And if he played at that level, just good, he still lives up to the contract based on, based on what that was. I mean, that's a, that was a pretty good deal. Jim Benning rolled the dice, took a chance on a very small sample size, and I think it worked out. But now, this year he wasn't as good. You had the injury this past summer. You've got another injury now. And I do think that the player himself wouldn't be upset at a move. I don't think for a second he's demanding a trade or anything like that. But I think you do get players. And we saw that with Brock Besser earlier this year, where basically the agent was given permission to explore a trade. That wasn't Brock Besser demanding a trade. That was Brock Besser saying, you know what? I wouldn't mind. Maybe you change the scenery. Uh, it might be time for a change. All of those types of things. So I do think that there is a, a part of Thatcher Demko that probably wouldn't mind a move or, and, and again, not a demand, nothing like that, but maybe he sees value in a change of scenery. From a Canuck perspective, this organization views this as a retool. You and I certainly don't think that should be the, the best path forward. They view it as a retool. If they view it as a retool, they should absolutely not be considering trading Thatcher Demko. Thatcher Demko is the one person the one asset that is preventing this from being a tank and from being a full rebuild. You and I have opined on this, that if he's playing his game, they simply can't suck bad enough to be in that bottom feeder conversation. So if they don't view it as a rebuild and they view it as a retool and they think they're going to be in the playoffs in two to three years, you absolutely want Thatcher Demko on this deal to be a part of that. The fact that they don't makes me wonder that maybe he's not enamored with the scenery here and wouldn't mind to change. Well, thanks for the uh, the context. But hey, like, am, am I wrong on am, am I wrong on that? Like, what's the upside of wanting to move Thatcher Demko at this um, point? Yeah, no, it doesn't make sense. Uh, I like it doesn't make sense unless the club is looking at the future. Like, that's what's partly weird about the Horvat deal, right? Like, the Horvat deal is a really good start to. Um, to like really going aggressively into a future minded building posture where you're really focused on accumulating assets. And yet this is also a team that just recently, you know, extended JT Miller for eight years and or seven years and signed Ilya Mikheyev on the first day of free agency and, you know, um, extended Andre Kuzenko rather than dealing him. 
But Bo like Horvath was not moved for asset acquisition. Bo Horvath was moved because they didn't want to pay him eight times eight. That's right. why he was moved. No other reason. Or they but, couldn't afford to pay him eight times eight. But Whereas I mean, Thatcher Demko, the, you've got a really good contract for a really good goaltender. But the fact is, is that you're not better without Bo Horvat next season. So if your goals are short term, how does, like it all, part of, part of, I think the confusion stems from, um, you know, if this is the start of a new posture, great. If this is a one-off, how does it square with the club's goals of competing short term, right? That, that to me sort of is the big lingering question. Hey, can, Bob, yeah, but if you move on from Bo, you can't improve in the other areas you need to move, move on from because of well, what you've so, got to spend. Well, except, Whereas with except Thatcher Demko, spent, he, he doesn't, he doesn't handcuff you financially. No, but you've spent on the wings, like almost exclusively. And now you're going to need to replace Bo Horvat <laughs> at center and your best options are going to be like JT Comfer and yeah. Oscar Sunkfist. Like, good luck. Good luck. That won't be good. Anyway, are you anyway. kidding, Dre? I'm sure they're going to hit on JT Miller at center and on Ratu at center. They're going to hit there. Hey, I hope so. I mean, it would be great to cover some meaningful hockey. Um, anyway, let's leave it there. We've been going for 90 minutes or, or thereabouts. Wow. And, uh, and thanks to everyone for joining us. The response was huge. Obviously, a historic day for the Vancouver Canucks. Bo Horvat, the captain, tenured for eight and a half Canucks seasons, has been traded to the New York Islanders with premium futures, making up the guts of the return coming back to Vancouver. A fascinating day with the club out of action until February 6th. We'll have a lot of time to digest this news and consider what's next for the Vancouver Canucks. For Farhan, I'm Thomas Drance. You've been listening to the VanCast Live at The Athletic, Vancouver.